Hey folks, in this interview, it's all about living among what's left behind with Mario Cruz. This is Twit. Hey folks, welcome back to This Week in Photo. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, I have Mario Cruz. He's a Lisbon-based photographer. It's in Portugal. Uh, he does photojournalism and uh, some other things that we're going to learn about during this interview. But Mario is on Skype and has agreed to join us to chat through kind of what his origin story is, what led him to this project, living among what's left behind, as well as what's in the future for him. So Mario, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you so much. Glad to talk to you about this. Yeah, yeah, this is exciting. This is this is really cool. So first of all, congratulations on the project. That's uh, thank you. You know, thank you so much. We've uh, you know, as you know, there's a written component to this piece that's published on the full blogger. And uh, looking at that piece and, and talking with some other people offline, the consensus is you have some sort of magic way of getting emotion into your images. So <laughs> I'm going to talk okay. about that a little bit. What is what is that magic that you put in there? I mean, um, I'm always, always interested in human parts. Um, of course, this specific project, it's a uh, it's a project about the environment. It's about a very polluted river in uh, the Philippines. But um, my main goal is always on the human side. So I guess um, it doesn't matter where I am or what I'm covering. For me, it's the human impact. That's mm-hmm. that's what drives me. And so that's why I, I'm keeping um, trying to, to document uh, human stories about human rights issues or social injustice. I mean, um, I think it's really important to photography to be um, where the evidence is. I think we as a photographers or photojournalists have that duty. So um, I, I truly believe in the power of photography in bringing that evidence up. Yeah, and it's, a, it's kind of like the, the human element versus just the straight uh, a documentary version where you're, you're photographing a polluted river in the Philippines instead of just showing mm-hmm. the pollution, you're yeah. showing the impact of that pollution on the, the population that's surrounding it, right? Yeah, th- that's that's really important to me. And when, when I discovered the Pasig River, uh, I understood that the human side was um, being, being ignored for many years. So sometimes when we talk about these kind of issues, we tend just to see the images of, let's say, a polluted river or uh, a rainforest uh, in a very bad shape right now or something like that. But we don't see the consequences, the human side, what's behind it. Um, so when, when I was trying to organize this project, um, I was trying to understand the impact um, on the lives of those who live next to the river. And uh, actually, it's a very sad story, this one, because we can see that the problem is the solution. So the problem, of course, is the pollution in the river. But for many families, is, is the solution because they survive for from what they can find in the river. So it's a very sad situation. Oh, wow. So, so they've, they've learned to use the disaster which is that pollution and sort of thrive on it and if it were to get cleaned up and go away then they'd have to make adjustments and figure out how to survive right yeah yeah yeah. and i mean this is this has been like that for many many years i mean one thing that i realized while i was there is that i I was photographing 
uh, many children, of course, but the parents of them were already born in those circumstances. So they were already born in that kind of environment. So everything they have come, comes directly from the river. So even the houses that they have, they build from materials that they found in the river. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so when I, when I discovered that the Passing River, um, I thought that it was a perfect example to show what's happening with, um, when the um, human basic needs and the environment are ignored. And how, how, did, you, how did you come upon the, 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 the river itself and then sort of get that spark of inspiration to cover it as a photojournalist? Yeah, I, I, started, I started to to read some articles about waves of trash that were coming into people's houses in Manila. And um, so I, I tried to know more about it. And um, and soon I was discovering the, the reality of Pacific River. So the, the river was considered biologically dead in the 90s. Mm -hmm. and, um, but it, only after that, the, the Filipino government decided to do something. But uh, what they, they have done, it's very symbolic because they created a commission to rehabilitate the river. But they only do clean up operations. So uh, imagine if you clean up... Uh, a part of the beach or a part of the river. If you come back 24 hours later, it's already full of trash. Yes. So it's it's a very um, I mean it's it's uh, it's almost impossible to solve the problem like that. So, um, but but actually, uh, one thing that really um, makes me sad is to understand that all that is already acceptable by the Filipino society. So uh, if you go to Manila now, Frederick, you, you, you'll be, of course, devastated but by what you see. I mean, it's possible to walk on top of the trash that is floating in the river. Wow. It's, it's, it's just crazy. You can walk so, on it. It's that thick. Yeah, you can walk on it. Yeah. yeah. Many of the children spend their days walking in, in that trash, trying to find some recyclable materials um, to to sell it, of course, and to have some money. Mm -hmm. And we are talking about families that can live with $30 every month. Yeah. So um, it's very, very difficult for them. But that's just, a I mean, it's just um, a small part of the problem. Imagine, for example, these, chil these children go to the, to the river when they have three or four years old. So they start like that. Mm -hmm. And um, when they got to, let's say, 16 or 17 years old, they, they start showing some symptoms of the diseases that will follow them for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, I, I've met Nolito. Nolito had, uh, by that time, 18 years old. And um, he was in really bad shape. He, he had his lungs very obstructed. And the treatment uh, costs... Um, three hundred dollars every month. Mm. So uh, it, his family had to s to sell almost everything in the, in in the, their house, even the floor. Um, so um, I mean, but the saddest part is that after the treatment is completely he completed, he needs to go to the river again. Wow. So uh, back back to the scene of the crime, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And if you go to the Pasig River. Um, you can see this all the time in every day. And the problem is that uh, it's not concentrated in just one area. 
it's all over the city because the the, the, the river uh, runs throughout the city. So uh, it's it's really complicated situation right now. Wow, wow. So I mean, being so close to it, is there a ray of sunshine in there? Is do you see a path? To, to getting that river cleaned up, or is this just the way that it's going to be, you know, and while humans are on the planet? I mean, I, I think that the only solution is to relocate all those those families and the, the communities. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a very hard task to do it. We are talking about millions of people. Mm-hmm. And, um, but uh, we need to start... Uh, someday, so yeah. it's better to to do it quickly. I mean, um, the, the the government tried to do that in the small. I mean, uh, let me explain one part that it's really important. Sure. The, um, the, the 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 communities are, are mainly concentrated in the esteros. Esteros are the estuaries. The these these areas were built to stop the floods in Manila, but because of their location right in the center of Manila. Many people decided to build their houses in those locations. So what's happening now in Manila is that those locations are just um, overcrowded. So the houses are not even houses. They are just piles, structures of wooden uh, craved in very polluted waters. So it's, it's like a maze, you know. And these locations are spread all over the city. So it's it's very difficult to... Uh, con- convince. I mean, uh, I don't know. Some sometimes the service can have fifty thousand people in them. Mm-hmm. So you have to convince fifty thousand people to move outside Manila. And we need to understand that these people came from the interior of the country to go to Manila to have jobs. So it's 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 hard to understand. But they prefer to live like that instead of coming back and not have uh, any opportunity. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, I think that they will have a better life in the interior of the country because many of that people um, don't have a single job. Many of the children don't go to school. Um, I mean, they don't have electricity. They don't have um, clean water. They don't have anything, really. Um, so the problem was that this this, this situation uh, was ignored for too long, you know. Yeah. And now we have millions of people uh, in this situation. And, um, I mean, I don't see a solution right away because the Filipino government don't seem to to see the river and these communities as a priority. Wow. Well, so then, you know, right now as we record this, um, it is Friday, March 13th here in the United States. And, and you know, as you know, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording. Mm. The world is is worried about this you know, COVID-19 virus and transmission yeah. and all that. How do you see that kind of, you know, the paranoia in, in first world countries is palpable, right? In mm-hmm. third world countries and poverty stricken areas without access to the health care that we, you know, have in first and second world countries, how do you, from your being on the ground near this river, how do you think that's going to affect the millions of people there when, if the virus hasn't already reached them, when it hits down there? I mean, uh, I don't, I don't even want to imagine that. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, they have so many problems already. Um, for example, many of the kids um, uh, get immune 
to many of the things because they suffered so many times from the same problems, they get immune to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but actually, um, now with the coronavirus, something like the coronavirus in that kind of communities, it's, it's a completely tragedy. They don't have um, uh, any medical center or any medical support. Um, I saw many people with tuberculosis living by themselves, waiting for the death in yeah. Manila. Yeah. Um, so um, I prefer not to imagine what could happen and if uh, that hits them so strongly as we can see in Italy or in China or yeah. many other countries. So, I mean, um, they, they suffered enough. So um, I, I just hope that... Um, the communities in, uh, that are living next to the Pasig River um, at least have some sanitation mm-hmm. because they don't even have that. They, they never had a bathroom in their lives. Wow. So the river became the sewer of the city. I mean, it's just actually when, when, I, when, I, when I was photographing this project, I realized that I was photographing what many times is, is described as, as a dark scenario for the future um, in terms of environment if nothing is done and if we don't stop we're with our uh, plastic industry and so on and um, but actually it's the present it it's, it's happening it's happening right now and actually it's a past for millions of families in Manila um, and uh, and we, we need to stop thinking that it's a local problem. Because the plastic that we are seeing in uh, in Pasig River goes to the ocean every year. You know, that is more than 60,000 tons of plastic that comes from Pasig River to the ocean every year. So every it's 60,000, yeah, every year, 60,000 tons. It's a lot. Wow. And so not, not is, is, the Pasig River is one of the most polluted river, but it is also one of the most... Uh, rivers responsible for the the plastic in our oceans. So, I mean, um, it's not local; it's global, and it's not it's not in the distant future. It's right now. So we need to. Yeah, it's happening. It's not fiction. It's not science fiction. It's not some yeah. dystopian movie of what could happen if things go wrong. Things have gone wrong, and yeah. you know now I think you know now people are starting to wake up to it. Um, yeah, so, yeah. For sure. so let, let's switch gears and, and go back in time to the beginning of your photographic career. What, what sparked you to want to pick up a camera and start telling stories with a camera? Um, well, my father was a photographer, so I had a camera all around me since I can remember. Um, but to be honest, um, photographer, uh, photography didn't, did get my, did got my attention right away. I mean, only when I was 16, I, I started looking f- to photography in a different way. Um, I started I started using photography to express myself. So I, I was born in Lisbon, in Portugal. I studied in Lisbon Center, but uh, I, I lived in the suburbs. So mm-hmm. what I was seeing in the center, in the place that, that I was studying, it, it was completely different from the suburbs. And, um, and I started paying attention to newspapers, and I was not seeing many of the things that I was seeing next to my house. And um, and 
suddenly I discovered one thing called Magnum Photos. And, uh, oh, the stock agency? Was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I was, I mean, I was really inspired by many of the photographers. But actually, one of the, the, the photographers that really inspired me was James Nahue. And, um, I mean, um, his work really... Um, talked me in a way that it's um, difficult to explain even today. But uh, I understood that photography had a, a very unique power mm-hmm. to create dialogue and to to um, to to raise awareness to many of the subjects that I was thinking about back then. Yeah. Um, so I decided to to um, to study photojournalism. So it was clear to me that. That was the path that I wanted to follow, and um, and uh, after a while, I got uh, uh, an internship in uh, in uh, a news agency, mm-hmm. which is the, the Portuguese news agency. It's called Lusa. Mm-hmm. I still work there, but after a while, um, I, I lost my way in photography. So I started to do my own projects because uh, what drives me is truly storytelling. It's truly documentary photography. And um, I started to do my own projects, so I started to to use my free time um, in the best way possible. So um, I tried to do my own projects related to human rights issues. Um, uh, I started in Portugal um, to get more comfortable, to get more experience, and then I moved. I moved on, and then I've been to Senegal and to to the Philippines and other places. And um, I mean. Um, I realized that actually uh, photography has a really important role uh, when it comes to to capture the evidence. That that's it. That's what drives me the most. I think. Yeah, capturing the audience and and telling stories, right? So in yeah in in you know having having taken that tack with your photography, you know, sort of uh, shedding light on environmental issues and and other things that in, affect the planet and humans living mm-hmm. on the planet. What would you say is your, you know, so far has been your sort of most transformative project, you know, both externally, mm-hmm. you know, to, you know, the effect of the product project itself and internally mm-hmm. the effect of the project on Mario? Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's very easy to me to point that out. It was the, the Taliban story. Mm-hmm. Um, the Taliban, the, the project is called the Taliban Modern Day Slaves. Mm-hmm. It's about children that uh, that are slaves of false Quranic teachers in Senegal, and um, I mean it. It was a story that changed me in many ways um, because I never thought that I would see something like that in my life. Um, I saw children being whipped in front of me, being beaten in front of me, shackled by their ankles, and um, and actually it was. Uh, a story that had uh, a very good uh, result in the end. Um, I don't want to get into too much details of the story because it's a very dramatic story. Yeah. And um, I mean, we are talking about more than fifty thousand children that that are, oh um, yeah, in prison in false Quranic schools, and they have to beg all day for for these supposed uh, Quranic teachers. And um, if they don't come back at the end of the day with the money. Um, they get punished, they get beaten, they get raped, uh, they get killed. Um, so we are talking about children between 5 and 15 years old. Mm. Um, so when I discovered this story, I, d- I discovered also that what was missing 
it was precisely the, the evidence, the proof. Mm-hmm. So uh, I talked with a lot of NGOs that were trying to to get that evidence for many years, and uh, I got I get lucky, I guess, and um, I tried the best I could to 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 capture the evidence, and I, and I did it. And after uh, winning the World Press Photo in 2016 with that story, um, many children uh, were rescued. And wow. um, yeah, and that's I, it's priceless. That is, yeah. that is simply priceless, 100%, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, um, I never thought that I could um, achieve that, that kind of result with my work. But um, and it it was it was remarkable because I worked with so many people. It was truly a teamwork, and we did a, a book that is present in all uh, schools across Senegal in Guinea Bissau to prevent more children to get caught in these uh, children taf- trafficking networks. And um, so far, more than two thousand children were rescued. And um, I mean, it's it's a long way to go. But, uh, for example, we still have an exhibition is traveling across Guinea-Bissau to show what's happening. And that, that exhibition will never stop until it's, it's, uh, it's, it, the problem is solved. The so, solved, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was uh, truly uh, a project that, that uh, changed me. Um, and, and I had to stop a little bit. <laughs> to reset, before yeah. and reset, and the, the the living among us left behind was the project that followed that one. Mm-hmm. So it came three three years after. So um, it was um, it was definitely important. It is it is truly an honor to speak with you, Mario, because you're you are what I call the the a true photojournalist, right? So we we. We, you know, online, it's full of people that are arguing back and forth about different cameras and lenses and software and techniques and all that. And then there are very few photographers that are actually out there doing what this gear was designed to do. And that is to tell stories and present them to other people. So congratulations on that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so much Thank for you. that. So what, what, what gear, speaking of gear, what do, you, mm-hmm. what do you tend to take with you? What's, your, what's the, the bag that you'll take with you when you're on one of these adventures or, or one of these documentary missions? Well, I, I try to be uh, as discreet as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, all my projects since the beginning were shot with Fujifilm cameras. I mean, X-Pro1, X-Pro2, and now the X-Pro3. So um, I, um, I, I mean, uh, when I when I documented the Taliban, I was doing it with the X Pro One, and uh, if I had the X Pro Two or the X Pro Three, it would help a lot uh, because uh, now it's completely silent, and the X Pro One yeah. wasn't. So I mean, I, I I was not allowed to enter the school, so it was a lot of danger involved in documenting that reality, and the cameras will help me a lot. So. But uh, to be honest, I don't think too much about the gear. Uh, I, I photograph always with three fixed uh, lenses, the, um, the 80, uh, 18, the, the 23, and the 35, which means that it's 27, 35, and 50 millimeter. And, um, and that's it. I don't use any more gear. I mean, uh, I try to be, uh, I mean, like I said, the, the, the most discreet person in the room mm-hmm. because i'm already with the camera so 
the highlight is easily on me. So, and and actually, um, the cameras that I've been using, the X Pro series, is very resistant. I mean, uh, uh, I've been through a lot in these projects, and. Uh, uh, they never broke down, so that's enough for me. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah, it's a tank. And the discretion is is the the magic part, I think, for a lot of people with these mirrorless cameras. Just being, yeah. able, being able to move around without the clunk, you know, and yeah. waving your hand. Hey, I'm a and photographer. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And now the X-Pro3 doesn't, doesn't even have a viewfinder on the back. So uh, oh, wow. it's even more discreet than ever. So... Uh, it's it's a good tool for me for sure. I mean, uh, the the camera is just a tool. So uh, I want to be discreet. My work needs to be discreet. Uh, I don't want to be too intrusive. I need to get access. So uh, I find it to be the almost a perfect gear for me. So very simple. That's perfect. That's perfect. Well, I'd, I I want to wrap it up with. I always try to to take a look forward into the future and see you know based on what you've learned and where your mindset is right now what does the future look for look like for mario what you know what kind of projects are you working on and which what kind do you hope to work on i mean um it takes a lot of time to me to get involved to to another project um for example um I spend a lot of time researching. I spent a little bit time photographing, <laughs> and then I spend a lot of time communicating. For example, with "Living Among Us" like behind, um, it was awarded last year. We created the book last year, and I'm still showing the work um, everywhere I can. Yeah. So, for example, the the photo that that was awarded in the World Press Photo of a child in a mattress, uh, surrounded by trash. Um, just for you to have a, a, an idea of what I want to do in the future. Um, for example, in that in that photo, every time you see an exhibition, if you want to see the the photograph a little bit closer, you have to go through um, a floor full of full of trash, you know. Yeah. And so you have to face the problem to see the photo. And actually, the book. The cover of the book was made of trash. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. yeah. So, uh, 160 kilograms of trash to produce every cover. Um, so, what I want to do in the future, um, for sure, um, is to dedicate myself to stories that are hidden or ignored. That's that's my goal, and I want to use photography in the best way possible. Um, I, I consider myself a photojournalist, of course, but. Um, my goal is, is not to see my work published in newspapers or magazines. I want to use photography in a more proactive way, you know. Um, so I'm really interested in using photography um, in different um, actions. So for now, for example, uh, I, I want to paste up many of the photos that I, that I, that I took to in this project and, and show in the streets in in many places, including Manila, uh, to to show to people that this problem can can no longer be ignored. But um, for now, I'm I'm trying to finish a project that I started a few years ago in Portugal called the Roof, the Roof, the roof. Project. Okay. Yeah. yeah, the Roof Project, and th- that project is about people that uh, that that are surviving in abandoned places in in Lisbon. That project started when we were facing. Um, a serious financial crisis and um, I don't know really why 
the economic crisis in Portugal was not taken seriously outside Portugal in the media because of Greece, maybe because they had those violent demonstrations and uh, it was a very severe crisis, of course. But in Portugal, it was really difficult too. So, I mean, it was... Um, it was uh, it was severe too, and we are still suffering the consequences of that. Yeah. So now people are still living in abandoned places. Nobody sees them, and uh, we we were uh, a country in uh, in a very uh, bad shape economically in the f- uh, a few years ago. Now we are the good example of Europe with a lot of tourism and and so on. And now people. Portuguese people still battle to find a place they can afford in the city. So it's a very hidden story for us Portuguese. And I want to concentrate myself on that um, until the end of the year. But for sure that uh, in 2021, I will do uh, a new project outside Portugal. Um, I wish I could do more. Yeah. But uh, I really need time to... To, to rest my, my head and to concentrate myself on the, on uh, on this right now. Living among us left behind has taken a lot of me. And um, like I said, uh, I, I do a lot of research. I spend most of my time not photographing. So, and uh, the photography part comes later and yeah. naturally. And I'm only, always anxious to it. But it takes a lot of uh, a lot of research, a lot of study, and uh, photography is more than just photography itself. So it is, it is, it's, and it's, yeah, it's, it's an art, a science, it's psychology, it's, it's preparation and planning and all that. That's that's amazing. What about the um, you know one thing I wanted to ask you before I let you go was just the looking at these photos and the photos around the river and all that. There is the <laughs> it it you're putting yourself in harm's way in a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, part of the job of being a photojournalist, obviously, is to yeah. be where the photos are. But how do you, what precautions do you take to ensure that you don't get sick or you don't, <laughs> you do leave with your gear, you know? How, how does that work? I mean, uh, to be completely honest, I don't uh, overthink it. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, good. Um, I mean, if I, if I did it, I think how. I wouldn't be able to do what I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, for example, in Senegal, um, I, I knew for sure that every day I was uh, putting my life on the line. Uh, I mean, uh, I knew that. I wasn't a father back then. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if I will do it again now. Mm-hmm. But, um, for example, in Living Among Us Left Behind, um, the first time that I, that, I, that I went to the river and I walked on top of the trash and then i saw um the people going to their lives so naturally um i was really shocked i was looking at my feet and i and i couldn't see them because it it was so many trash but at the same time you can feel the water it's it's a very wow. strange um feeling and i when i got to to the place where i was sleeping a very comfortable hotel um when i look to my boots and and my gear and my clothing it was full of germs and i mean it it um it's i don't i don't think too much about about those things because i mean it's part of the job mm-hmm. um but uh, i mean when when i return to my country i i try to know if everything is okay
Yeah, that's yeah, it. Absolutely, that's good. That's a good way to, uh, yeah. Because otherwise, you'd overthink it, and you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 to be honest, I have to live with these people, so yeah. um, I spend a lot of times in these places. Uh, I, I picked up trash with them many times. That's that's the only way to to cover these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I would be contributing to a very superficial way of uh, portraying that reality. So um, that's the opposite of what i want to do so i need to be there i need to to feel what they feel of course i will not feel what they feel because i'm more lucky than them i guess yeah. i mean uh, but in and, order to, um, to get the story and tell their story yeah you have to be embedded and yeah and, for and, sure and feel it that, that, and, yeah. yeah that's that's very very important i mean and if you want to do this kind of job you have to spend time on it yeah uh, i mean there's there's no other way to do it Sometimes I see many, many power, powerful photography work, but I don't see many time put into it. And um, I guess that uh, that it that can make make a difference. I mean, that's why I'm not I'm a photo photojournalist, but I'm not concerning about newspapers and magazines because they don't give us the conditions anymore. So right. I'm trying to do this by myself with my own conditions and to to do the best I can, and then to communicate the best that I can. So I prefer to do it that way. Fantastic. Fantastic. Mario Cruz, thank you for coming on. I, I appreciate your time. Thank today. you so much. Um, thank you for if, this opportunity. If people want to reach out to you and, and connect with you, what's, what's the best way for them to, to start a dialogue? Yeah, it's very easy to find me on my website or Instagram. Um, I'm not a very present guy in social media but i reply to everything that people send me so it's very easy mariocruz.com it's very easy yeah and you've got a i'm showing the contact form there now yeah so you've got a contact it's, form up there just go to mariocruz.com yeah. slash contact and uh, yeah. and reach out very good yeah very easy all right mario thanks again for coming on thank you all right thank you sir thank you again you're welcome you're welcome very welcome and uh, best of luck in your next adventure yeah wish you the best man thank you This is Twitter.